we are heading into September, Carl, and hopefully we are going to have a much better fall than we've had summer. Hmm. You know, you know, the th- weird thing is at the beginning of August, everyone said, oh, it doesn't feel like August. It feels it feels much cooler. And then the last week, everyone had forgotten about that. And it was really hot. Yes. We'll talk to our guest, David Sandusky from Beastcraft Barbecue in just a minute about his reality show and about his movie life, DC versus Marvel, and what he thought of the Suicide Squad. Around minute 38, we'll talk about Vacation Friends on Hulu. Around minute 46, Wrestling at the Chase is back in town. Around minute 49, the new movie Together. Around minute 54, Flag Day. Around minute 59, Candyman is in theaters. Around one hour and seven minutes, we'll have our theater roundup talking about On Your Feet, Wicked, Come From Away, Chicago, and the rest. That's all coming up. Yeah. Well, we have a guest who's had a really good summer, although he's working super hard, and that is David Sandusky, Feast Magazine's Chef of the Year who owns Beastcraft Barbecue. Welcome, David. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being on. I really enjoyed watching 10 weeks of Barbecue Brawl on the Food Network. And every uh, podcast, I would tell Carl of your progress. Every week. He's still in it. He's still in it. (laughs) Because there were times where it was tough. Those First of all, you had really tough competition. Yeah. And then those judges were really tough. Had you known any of them before? Uh, I knew a couple of the competitors uh, in barbecue. We're all friends and family. So we're kind of a tight knit community, Uh, even nationally, internationally. We're a pretty tight knit um, community. Uh, So uh, I was aware of some, I knew some and, uh, but it was the first time that I had met the, the judges for sure. And, uh, and the, the team captains. Absolutely. Well, you, uh, were on, you were Michael Simon's first pick, yeah. which I thought was very impressive. And you guys were really rocking and rolling you and Ara and Brittany. And then they stole Brittany. Right. Right. For, uh, was it Eddie Jackson? She went over to his team. Yeah, yeah, Eddie Jackson stole her um, a little over halfway through the season. You know, I was I was very grateful to be on Michael Simon's team. That was exactly where I wanted to be um, with a gentleman who uh, owns his own barbecue restaurants and uh, has a, a strong passion for it. And, uh, you know, from what I've seen of his work on TV and what I've heard about him, I was really stoked to uh, to, to, to be picked by him. Uh, it, I don't know. It was just it was it was perfect how it worked out. You know, it would have been great if I was on Bobby or Eddie's team. It would have been fine. I would have, you know, done just as well. But um, Michael was definitely. Uh, do you think you still would have? Do you think you still would have placed the same way that you were placed if you were in another team? It's it's hard to say because you know everybody's um, leadership is a little bit different and uh, their expectations are a little bit different. Uh, Michael really wanted to. Uh, allow us the room to do what we wanted to do, but to be there for support, to make sure that we were able to do our best. Uh, and, and that was certainly uh, something that he uh, adapted to for the, the second episode, given how episode one ended. Uh, that really hurt him 
and uh, and he did not want that kind of responsibility going forward. So it was kind of a shift from episode one, and uh, um, he did an amazing job. He really worked with us a lot. He, he talked to us. He worked things through and uh, and coached us really well. Um, I would say that Simon was probably more dedicated to to us as a team than uh, than I believe the other two probably were for theirs. But that's not to say that. Um, they didn't put in their, their time or their work or, um, or anything like that. I would just say that, that Michael is a, is a cut above both as a chef uh, and leader, but, but also no as pun a, intended. Yeah. It, it just, uh, absolute amazing person. I mean, exactly what you see on TV is, is who he is. Uh, I have always enjoyed. Chef. Yeah. I've always enjoyed his show, uh, and seeing him. And then he was on the ABC show, the chew for a while till, that that unfortunately they had Mario Batali yeah. as one of the people, and then the the show went bye bye. But uh, I've I think I've always been impressed because he's just authentic. He's real, and I think I was in Cleveland in 1998, and I ate at this uh, with my two boys. We ate at this little um, place that we heard was really good for euros, and I'm convinced that was one of his earlier places. You know, it was not fine dining. It was casual. But I think when I w- went back and read his bio, I think I go, I think we were at a Michael Simon place. <laughs> but anyway, I have been at the Beast Craft Barbecue all. Um, I haven't been to the one in Columbia yet, but the one in Belleville, I, I was at several times. And then I've been to the Grove a couple times. And when people say you have the best pork steak, you do have the best pork steak. And in the end, that's what you were in the final four. Right. And now, now, now hold on a Lynn, Lynn, yes. don't say for some, you know, I, I know the cat's out of the bag and we know where David wound up, but some people haven't seen it because food network's going to show this forever and ever and ever. So don't, don't say too much. You can say enough, but David, what do you tell people? Um, at this point, I just tell them that uh, you made it to the finals. Yeah, they're, to to stay tuned and to to watch watch the season and wait for it, and uh, and I try to encourage them to just spend the time on it rather than me just you know giving them the the ending the number. Sure. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, Ian Frobe of the St. Louis Post Dispatch, the food writer, he he did a recap every episode and. Uh, his final uh, one, the, the August 10th one, he said in the end, he made a pork steak. And um, you introduced the entire place to pork steaks. And uh, I, I loved it. And then also you made your signature side, the Brussels sprouts, which Carl, if you have not had the Brussels sprouts, they are everything. And I won't, but my daughter um, loves Brussels sprouts. Well, it's weird because I don't like vegetables and my child is a is a big vegetable fan. My she inherited that from my wife. But well, I mean, we've converted a lot of people on Brussels sprouts <laughs> who have had that same attitude. And let me just tell you, if you want to eat a great vegetable, you deep fry it. Right. Yeah. Like so, I you know, make I, it not taste like a vegetable. I think you got to give it a shot, man. You can't just All brush right. it off. I well, know you, you have real, he has really good sides at his places and I always want to try more things, but then I always have to have the Brussels sprouts, but then I always get, I always get like an extra side. Cause I'm like, I got to try this. I got to try this. But I will say, even though like right now you're working 90 hour weeks, you do have uh, the staff. Every time I've had a 
encounter with one of your staff people, they have just been over backwards. They're just so helpful and they explain things and, and uh, you, you have a really good team. So how did, how did you get from this taken over the Hi-Ho Diner in Belleville, Illinois to being acclaimed in national magazines and websites? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a funny question. I think that uh, I'm, I'm a little bit of a rare case because uh, I, I'm, I'm a hustler. I, you know, I, um, I, I'm not talented at many things and, and I wouldn't even call myself a good cook. Um, I just work harder and hustle more than anybody else does. And, uh, and, I, and I think that that kind of comes through. Um, for me personally, I just wanted to focus on the plate uh, from the very beginning. I just, I didn't care about anything else. I just wanted to make sure that the very best that I could put out was on the plate and everything else would take care of itself. And, uh, and that came to be true. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty much how it went. We didn't have a marketing budget. Uh, we spent every last dime that we that we had to open that restaurant. It was just my wife and I. We don't have any big capital backers, uh, investors at all. Um, we've done all of this ourselves, and uh, and we've done it just by focusing on making sure that every single time the best thing is on the plate. So it's not a question for us, you know, if we can sell it. It's a question of is it our best, and that's one of the the major differences between uh, what we do and what uh, many, many others do, but, uh, it's, it's really, a um, a, a love and a passion for it and a little bit of insan insanity. I, I think <laughs> us restaurateurs as a whole, uh, we have to be a little bit crazy to do what we do because, uh, the ROI on it isn't there to put in the amount of effort that is required to really impact this industry. Uh, the amount that it takes to do that and to, and to, to reach your goals and, and to, to always, you know, be at the top of your game uh, and the, the amount of money that you get out of it in return, the, the return on investment is, is absolutely terrible. It's one of the worst investments you could probably ever make. And this is why a lot of restaurants fail in my opinion, when you have, you know, individuals that uh, think they should run a restaurant because, you know, their mom says they can cook well, or, uh, you know, it, just it's a sounds business. Like a, it sounds like a great break from whatever office you've been working in for the last 20 years. So let's open a restaurant. That's easy. Um, it's certainly not. And uh, uh, it's, it's some of the smallest margins that, uh, that you can imagine for the amount that, that it's required. And, and it's difficult, not just for, um, for the restaurateur uh, themselves, but, it becomes kind of a vortex. Uh, it just, it sucks in all the family, all the friends, everyone is affected by the fact that uh, you own a restaurant. And, uh, and so it's, it's very taxing on not just you, but everyone around you. You're not there for holidays. You're not there to parent. You're not there to, um, you know, see your friends. They're helping you because you need it. Um, and they want like a that. discount when they come in to eat. Yeah, right, right. So, so you have to be a little bit insane, and I consider myself to be a, a little bit insane um, <laughs> because there's just there's just not um, anything else that I would do if I wasn't in this industry. There's nothing else. There's not. It's and and I think to a degree that's what it takes. It's kind of all or nothing, and that's the attitude that we've had with our menus. We call it all killer, no filler. It means that 
everything we do is the best that we can do it, um, or it it doesn't it doesn't happen. It doesn't be, become part of our process. And and without that mentality uh, about everything, restaurants become very vulnerable. Um, when when they become a second priority, or uh, you know, you start making cuts and things like that on, on policy and procedure that has to do with quality and standards of things, things like that. And it becomes just a job or, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be more than it, having a restaurant would be fun uh, or it's not sustainable. So it becomes this all or nothing thing uh, to, to impact it all. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's kind of like being a pro athlete in a sense where you have to be at the top of your game all the time um, or your contract is up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh, now, so? you said you didn't have a marketing bu budget. The first time I went to the one in the Grove was because you had a fan and the somebody in their, their family, we needed a gift. And we found out that your place was their favorite place. So we went and got them a gift certificate. But while we were doing that, we ate there too. And so their fandom turned into, it, it builds and builds and builds. And you're making fans without a marketing budget, with just having good food and good service. Yeah, word of mouth uh, is how we built this company. And we've we've um, done some little things. We'll work with a magazine or two or something like that. But, uh, you know, we still don't have a marketing budget. And uh, and we just have done everything that we can by word of mouth. And, and we're lucky enough to see it work. Um, we're just really obsessive. Uh, and that's that's probably a negative trait of mine. But in, in this sense, it's uh, it's positive. So. So you opened the Belleville one in, in 2014. Is that right? 14? Yeah, Christmas of 2014. <laughs> and since then, you and during the pandemic, you opened your third location in Columbia, Illinois, in the former Bullies. And you decided to make that a little different Southern Kitchen. And uh, but and then you also had your third child. So what was it like? having uh opening a restaurant during the pandemic well i think this is uh, a part of being being obsessive about stuff like I, I don't really know how to stop and and so i i i figured that at some point there was going to be some kind of watershed moment where things are going to at least turn a corner if not return to normal and and so i negotiated deals in that way um, so i didn't stop growing my family i didn't stop growing my company because it felt like it would just broaden the foundation of uh, of what we had as a company, and then when we when this turned around, we would be in an even better place. I'm not the type to really put my tail between my legs and just wait to die. So for me, uh, I, I know that I was one of the few that uh, that wanted to take on that challenge of opening when it's only takeout, you know, or stuff like that. But um, but I mean, it, it just it, it just felt like um, if we didn't do it, then when were we going to do it? Were we going to wait three years? You know, it, it just felt like we needed to take our opportunity while we had it because it was the right time to negotiate. Uh, we got the terms that we wanted. And, uh, and so we felt like uh, we didn't have any reason to not open. Um, and, and that's not to say that there hasn't been challenges, but uh, it's, it's, been, it's been great. It's been received well. Overall, uh, we just uh, were named uh, best new restaurant by Sauce Magazine, and uh, and so uh, there's there's definitely some momentum and, and things are looking up. We're hoping that uh, any new mitigations that are coming will uh, will go away soon, hopefully. But 
Um, but yes, it's been, it's been a challenge for sure, but a rewarding one. Uh, and I'm, I'm really happy that, that we did it. Uh, you know, we, we try to, we don't, we don't want to carbon copy anything. It's not really our game. You know, I'm constantly wanting to be challenged and to, to do kind of the next level thing. And so the three locations that we have right now are all a little bit different. And the Belleville one that you mentioned has, uh, is kind of the, the classic barbecue joint with the Q line. Uh, the St. Louis location is more of a barbecue chop house with the butcher shop there and the live fire settings, chef's table and all that. Uh, really beautiful space. And then this one, of course, has more of a Southern twang to it uh, because we just want to give people a different experience and we want to branch out and we want to show that we're not one dimensional while at the same time be able to provide consistent, solid, nationally recognized barbecue uh, alongside of it. And so that's that's kind of the game. That's where what, we're at. Uh, did you learn anything from your fellow competitors when when you were on Barbecue Brawl? Yeah, yeah. I picked up a few things. Um, uh, Ara in particular, him and I got really close and uh, and we still are very good friends. Um, he's actually uh, planning on coming up here soon to cook with me in the scullery and that'll be fun. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Well, he was the stealth player, I think. I think you got the good edit. As yeah. Carl said, Carl said one time, you're getting a good edit. So we knew. That Do was you good. think you got a good edit, David? I thought they protected me pretty well. Uh, there were a lot of things that I was uh, not looking forward to seeing on camera that they didn't show. And, but there were also some things that I, I really wish they would have focused on that they didn't. Um, so it was kind of some give and take there. But overall, I thought that uh, they focused on, on me a lot, which is great because I'm kind of an attention whore. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and they, they, they played it really well for me. I think it benefited me a lot. I know some other people didn't feel that way about their opportunity there, but, um, but I felt like it was really great for me. And I thought it was really great for my team. Yeah, well, Ara was very quiet, but I loved when he brought out the sushi knife and you were like, of course, he has a sushi knife, you know, <laughs> and it was, it was just fun. It was just fun. But you, you said it, it reignited your passion in cooking and competitive because when you're running a place, you're not necessarily behind the fire. Yeah, um, I'll tell you with, uh, with the pandemic in particular, with everything that restaurants uh, and other industries have had to endure, um, it's it, it's so difficult to just focus on the passion of cooking when you're in survival. Like that's the mode. Let's survive. Let's get through this. Let's let's adapt and adjust and figure this out. You're not you're not worried about the next great dish you're going to create. You're worried about whether or not you're going to have a kitchen to do it in. And so it it really shifts the perspective and uh, and it. You know, for, for me personally, I'm as passionate about that stuff as I am uh, cooking a brisket. So it's it's fine for me. But uh, but but cooking hasn't been something that I've been able to do a lot of. And so going into the show and just being dedicated to that and just relying on my team to handle everything when I'm gone and just focusing on that and meeting these new people and discovering new ways of doing things and all those all those types of things, working with some of the best chefs in the world. I mean. Uh, let alone the, the competitors who are some of the best in their field. Um, just, it, it definitely ignited something new in me uh, recently where I just felt like I was kind of reconnected to food in a way that I haven't been in a while um, dealing with all these things. So 
it was it was a big deal. It was a big deal for me, and um, I was super excited to to work with Michael. Like I said, he he impacted me quite a bit. Well, let's how talk about the process. Was, oh, go ahead. Lynn. No, I was just well, you can go. I was going to say, how <laughs> hard was it to keep it quiet since you you filmed all of it way ahead of time, right? You were there in when were you really there? We filmed in, in March. Austin. March. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it, so everything was pretty locked down then in March. It was very locked down. Uh, we had we had to be tested uh, on the daily, and uh, the protocol for COVID was was uh, uh, was was very strict. They had a third party uh, company that was insuring uh, for the insurance company that those things were being followed correctly, and they were so they're very strict about it. Uh, we walked. But by, Mar- my, by March, you all could have gotten vaccinated if they wanted to do that. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, I wasn't vaccinated because I had antibodies at that point, um, but I've since been vaccinated. But we had uh, we had to walk everywhere with masks. Uh, we had to walk on the set with masks. We had to leave the set with masks. We had to constantly be walking from the set and off because we couldn't hang out there. Uh, we couldn't have uh, the production team on the set at the same time as the contestants or contenders, as they call them, the contenders had to walk to a, to a separate bunker, as it, it seems. It's really just another, uh, just a building. We were all in separate buildings. The judges were in a different building. Production was in a different building. The directors were in a different building. Everything was really, really spread out to, to, uh, to make sure that any kind of spread was, was highly minimized. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you about the process, but that, 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 that was a great answer about the process. Would you do it again? Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, I, I loved every minute of it. Uh, I, I've kind of gotten to this point. I wasn't like this early on in high school, college, giving speeches, doing all that stuff. Stuff terrified me. But now at, at this point in my life, I'm kind of a sucker for the camera. So when it's not. <laughs> and and you didn't even notice life, them, did you? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's gotten to a point. I've done enough of this stuff now or it's, it's just gotten to the point where it's easier to be natural. And, and you can see a progression for me in that series and that in that season where. I'm a little tight at the beginning and I think everybody was trying to just figure out their place and how this is going to work. And everybody's a little bit nervous. And then by episode three, episode four, it just starts to become normal and everybody's just shrugging it off. Like we just got to do what we got to do. And the cameras are going to do what they do. It just becomes easier. Well, you know, also you are a movie fan. Did you get to watch any movies while you were having your downtime or were you just preparing meals at the whole time? (laughs) <laughs> there wasn't much downtime. Um, we were we were a lot of go go go. I watched a few things here and there. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, I saw a, uh, a TV presentation of Top Gun, which I always have to watch. That's my of course favorite movie of all time. Uh, sorry anyone who thinks that's a terrible movie. Uh, I legitimately this is not an exaggeration. I've seen that movie over a thousand times in my life. <laughs> Um, I know it word for word, line for line. Um, watched it are you, are you ready for Maverick? Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm, I was disappointed that the movie was pushed off, but I'm excited to hopefully, hopefully see it in a theater if that's possible. Um, um, but, if you yeah. haven't seen the documentary on Val Kilmer, I highly recommend it. <laughs> well, I always tell people, you know, I was, I was kind of raised by Iceman, you know, like uh, <laughs> there's no points for second place. Like that's my guy. It's, I'm always into the villains and, you know, he was kind of the villain of that, of that movie. And so uh, a lot of just the way that I, uh, 
think and do like it, that. It, it's it's kind of silly, really, but uh, but I would say that like I'm impacted by Iceman quite a bit in that movie. Like I love that guy. I love that character, and that's always kind of like you know who I who I think about in that movie. And, well, in the Val Kilmer documentary, there is he filmed everything that he ever did. And so his entire life. And so there are scenes from 1985 when they're filming Top Gun. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that documentary. He's definitely one of my favorite actors. Yeah, you you would really like it because it's really re- relevatory. And then also he said every pilot in every airport has called him Iceman. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's really fun. You would really like it. So do you watch, uh, since you do have three children, do you watch a lot of family programming when you do have time? Yeah, I think probably 95% of what I see on TV these days is um either disney or you know some baby channel or something like that because nickelodeon you know, not, not being with them doesn't really matter what i want to watch or see and, and I'm, right. I'm i'm good with that because those are my moments so and and i always tell people a lot of these kids shows are written on a second level for adults and they're not all garbage it used to be you just put on something and the kids would watch it and it'd be stupid but now there are things that adults can enjoy as well yeah yeah they stick a few things in there to keep uh, parents attention and to perk up their ears from time to time i see a lot of the commercials are geared towards parents and uh, things like that we were actually watching a documentary the other day on the uh, uh the rise of nickelodeon and that was really cool because you know i was watching nickelodeon kind of at its beginning and they're showing pinwheel and you can't do that on television and all those kinds of shows that were uh popular when we were kids it's it's like the shows are completely different now their approach is completely different everything that they are after is completely different in advertising and uh i don't know it was nostalgic and cool and i kind of wish the shows now were like that like they yeah, used to be. it was the 30th anniversary a week or two ago of doug rugrats and ren and stimpy which were the first three wow. main ones from nicktoons oh every wow. saturday oh, my yeah. two boys Oh, yeah. Every Saturday, my boys would watch The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Are you afraid of the dark? I remember it was every Saturday. And then before school, they always watched Rugrats. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the times back when there was no stress. It was just (laughs) all you had to do was finish this episode. So, David, what's next for you and for Beast? Oh, well, you know, I'm not really sure where we're going to take things. Um, we, we may be done with this brand. We may expand it a little further. We're not sure. We want to take advantage of our brand equity, but uh, we're starting to get to the point where my personal brand equity is starting to exceed the uh, market value of, of beasts. And, and so we're, we're considering uh, doing some other things, some bigger things, uh, possibly different styles of barbecue or different food altogether. Um, we're not done for sure. We're just getting started. And, uh, and so we're, we're focused right now on vertically integrating, uh, as you know, with, uh, with the Grove location, we already started that with our own butcher shop where we carve our own meats. We do our own charcuterie, make our own sausages and things and cut out, um, any, any butcher shops doing that for us or, uh, vendors doing that for us. Uh, but we've went a step farther and we opened another company called Knighthood where, uh, we're actually uh, cleaning our own hood systems now. We're all that's all under our control. 
and, uh, and we're our own paper supply as well as our own chemical supply and dish machine supply. Uh, so we're kind of just, just reeling everything in and uh, making it our own. Uh, and we'll probably continue to find um, different industries to dip our toes in that uh, we can uh, impact our restaurants in directly. Um, so a lot of that stuff going on, but me personally, I'm going to start getting into cooking online, doing my own uh, YouTube channels and um, things of that nature. So we're going to on this. Twitch. Yeah, right. We're going to, we're going to see where this stuff goes, both for uh, the, the business brands, but also my personal brand and see where it ends up. And you're pretty active on social media, which is a good thing for marketing. And um, you're going to be in the queue in the loo. You're one of the four pit masters and that's October 1st through 3rd and it returns. Yeah, Fine. thankfully. Um, and hopefully it can, uh, we, hopefully that plays out and we can actually have that, that event. Who knows? You know, everything changes week to week. <laughs> it's up to I the know, city they just, uh, they just canceled the uh, Webster Groves Jazz and Blues Fest for September 18th. They were returning, but now they're not. So, yeah, it's understandable. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult to do things like that when uh, we're, we're dealing with the effects of, of, of what's going on. Uh, you know, safety first is kind of where we're at, but uh, especially yeah, they, for a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We want to protect our our staff, what little staff we we have, and um, and and you know we we all have babies at home, and we want to protect our guests and things like that. So we, we take it pretty seriously. And but it's but it's hard when you have an event like that that might have fifteen thousand people there. Um, you know, it's uh, there's definitely some challenges, but I know that uh, Brian Wabi and that team there. Uh, super sharp and excellent at what they do. And I know that they're taking those things into consideration and uh, uh, are making great decisions like they always do. And I'm sure it'll be great uh, regardless. They did invite me to the Denver barbecue festival. Uh, so I'll be doing that in September and then uh, Q in the Lou in October. And I'm excited about that. I've been wanting to be included in Q in the Lou for a long time. And uh, finally, I'm cool enough to be on their roster. So. <laughs> well, you might be more cool than the, uh than they are worthy of. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Everybody's going to do their time and, and, and work their way up. I, uh, uh, I, I've been a, a little particular about uh, what animals I've wanted to use and things like that in, in the past and really locked myself down and pigeonholed myself into doing only a, a few things. And, uh, and, and since I've kind of opened myself up as uh, we've become uh, a little more popular, I've, my personal brand has started to gain that equity. And so, uh, you know, Brian and I have been working or talking closely for uh, the last couple of years about uh, getting in there. And so, so finally we're in and I'm super happy about that. He's got a, he's got some great sponsors in uh, Smithfield and, uh, and, and some others, Primo grills and uh, stuff like that. So it'll be a good showing. He's got good people backing him and great companies. And, and so it'll be a, it'll be a good time. Well, you can tell when you eat your food that it's quality. You can you can just tell the meat is quality and uh, you don't always get that at the places that have rep reputations. <laughs> True. You know? Well, yeah. you can go ahead. I think it no. all starts with uh, the, the, the product. I mean, uh, and that's I guess that's part of my POV as a chef. I mean, I, of course, I mean, I can I can shine anything and, and, uh, and make it, uh, acceptable. But is that what we want is acceptable. 
You know, I mean, I, for me personally, I want the best thing on the plate, like I said earlier. So I think if you, if you start with a great product, um, chances are you're going to end up with a great product. And, uh, and so that's always, that's always my focus, having, doing as little as possible with the best ingredients I can get my hands on. Well, um, okay. For the summer movies, are you a DC or a Marvel guy? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm more of a DC guy myself. You can like both. <laughs> um, I do like both. I really am impressed with the production that Marvel has, uh, has, has, has kind of unveiled over the last decade. Uh, and, and they're not done with this whole story of playing out their entire um, library of, of, of comics. It's, it's pretty impressive. And I know that DC has, has attempted to do such things and has not been as successful in doing it. Uh, but I tend to like the stories uh, from DC a little bit better because like I said, I'm more into the villains. I think they're a little darker. I think they're a little more uh, engaging. And, uh, and so I, uh, I, I think, I think that, that DC for me is the spot, but uh, have definitely absolutely enjoyed all of the Marvel uh, movies that have come out and I'm always, you know, first in line to see them when I can. So. Well, if you have the opportunity to see what if it's really well done on Disney plus. Okay. I'll check it out. Yeah. That's uh, this, the, yeah. The first one, the first one was what happens if Peggy Carter got the super serum and she becomes, she's supposed to be captain Britain, but it's, it's, captain carter which is weird and then the second one um is a mix a mashup of black panther and guardians of the galaxy that's not oh, spoiler right yeah I heard and then that. the this week is what would happen if nick fury couldn't get the avengers as the avengers interesting yeah and, I'll there, check and, that out. and there are more it's a it's a whole series they drop every wednesday i really enjoyed loki we watched that recently yeah I have yet to dig into that. And I, I'm still, I know. Well, hey, I watched all of WandaVision. Okay. Which was. Winter Soldier. Did you watch? No. I got it. I still got it. You're so behind. I am. I'm very behind. Well, uh, the uh, series just started on Netflix that all my friends are talking about. It's called The Chair. And it's got Sandra O. Sandra O. And Peter. Carlos, our guest last week, just texted me this morning and said he's three episodes in. So shout out to Peter for all right. thinking. Well, I didn't see it. <laughs> now you but, can find now. Hold on a second. We we need to mention David's you know stuff. You can find out more about Beast Butcher and Block at beastbbqstl.com, and you can find out more about Q in the Lou at qinthelou.com. Right. And there's a wonderful picture of David and Megan. <laughs> you look, you guys just look so, she looks happy. You look, I'm ready to get back to work. <laughs> That's probably accurate for the moment. <laughs> yeah. I, if I'm remembering the picture you're talking about. Yeah. I'm, that's, that's probably exactly how it was. She's, she's amazing. Um, she's been a great support system for me. And uh, uh, none of this happens without her. So she's kind of the cornerstone to everything and uh, been, been very lucky to have her. So how long were you gone in Austin from your family? How long was that period? 
Uh, it's about three and a half weeks. For 10 episodes? That's not bad at all. Yeah, it wasn't bad. We um, shot two episodes uh, back to back, uh, an episode a day. And then uh, we did a, uh, a day off, which was uh, some of that was spent doing uh, camera work for the, the commentary. And then we had a day off and then we'd go into the, the next two episodes. Excellent. So did mm. you get to see uh, The Suicide Squad? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it. I, I watched both of them. Yeah. And what did you think of it? Since you're a villains guy, these guys are not even anti-heroes. They're straight up villains. Yeah, it's right up my alley, right? Um, I, I think I've been mostly disappointed in both of them because I feel like they could have been written better. Uh, the, the villains could have been better. The, uh, the, the, the plot, the story of it could have been played out a little bit better. Um, and I, I don't blame that on, on the writers of the, of the comics of the suicide squad. I just don't know that it, uh, translated to the big screen as well as it, uh, had the potential to, um, either one of them i thought the second one was was definitely an uh, an increase on the first one first one was pretty bad but um but that's not david Ayer's fault he says he said they took his movie away from him yeah they probably did um you know when you're more concerned about selling tickets than than, than putting out a great movie i suppose that can happen sometimes but i i don't know at, at, at its core like you know those movies are fun and and everything the 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 end boss is kind of ridiculous um but i guess that's what it's supposed to be it's supposed to be kind of ridiculous so yep um it's fun if you if you let it be fun it's fun if you break it down and try to you know just pull it apart for for quality then you know you think you're going to be disappointed but uh but i I thought there were some really fun parts in it i uh, i enjoyed most of it and uh i I was really happy to see john cena kind of come up come out of his shell a little bit Oh, he was good. I think he's good. And he's, he's been good since he was in train wreck. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I think he's, I think it's getting easier for him. I think he's better than he was. Uh, he's just more comfortable in front of the camera, I think. And well, uh, he's got a new movie out this week on Hulu that I'm going to watch as soon as we're finished here. Well, I watched it. And so what that's think? what I was going to say. I was going to say, speaking of John Cena, this is a, it's on Hulu. It's called vacation friends. And it's just one of those knockoff summer comedies that's just it's, yeah, but it's just, John Cena and Lil Rel. Right. So they 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 uh, propel it because it is uh, uh, John Cena and Meredith Hagner as this couple who are just wild. She's married to uh, Luke Russell. No, or, uh, Wyatt, 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 Wyatt Russell. Russell. Yeah, Wyatt Russell. Well. She looks and acts like his mother, Goldie Hawn. I'm oh, just saying. That's weird. That is weird. I'm just saying the whole time you're watching her. Well, she's you're a like, soap opera actress. Yeah, she was in, I think, As the World Turns. Okay. And she was on that, that I think, it, a Search Party. Was that Comedy Central? I, I really yes. can't. It was, it was with... on TBS. It was Search Party. But now it's on HBO Max. Okay, well, she was on that. So they play this really wild, uninhibited couple who meet Lil Rel Howery, who has become the best friend in all these movies since he was in Get Out. 
and he's very funny and very enjoyable. I always enjoy seeing him and he's Kevin Hart's best friend in fatherhood. And then what movie did we just see him in? He was in free guy, Lynn free guy. That's it. He plays the bank guard in free guy. He's been in a lot of things. So he and, um, an actress, and I'm just going to forget her name. Yvonne Orji. Right. Okay. So he, they, they go to Mexico and he is the owner of his own construction company. And, uh, he's going to propose to his girlfriend. Well, he, just pulls out all the stops and spends all this money at this resort on this great room and they open the doors and it's flooded and the ceiling it's the sprinkler the sprinkler systems going and it's a disaster and it's because john cena and meredith hagner have the presidential suite above them and their jacuzzi overflowed so John Cena and Meredith Hagner, uh, they're going to be mortal enemies, it looks like, but they become their new best friends. And hmm. apparently they have unlimited cash to do all these things. So they have this wild week in Mexico where it's just debauchery and a lot of drinking and crazy stuff happens. And so they go back to their real lives and uh, uh, little Rel Hollery, um, they're going to get married, and all uh, they don't invite the wild couple to their wedding because they just think those were vacation friends, and you know that's that's the end of that. Oh no, they show up. John Cena and Meredith Hagner crash this wedding, and. Uh, one of the fa- the father-in-law is a snooty guy who doesn't like Lil Howery, and he bonds with John Cena's character and it just gets crazier at the wedding. So it's just a movie where it's just nonstop partying and goofy stuff. Now this, so it's on Hulu and Hulu picked up last year, they picked up Palm Springs, which was a big sleeper hit. Is this along the same lines of that? Not, I wouldn't say as clever, but it's just one of those entertainment romps that just leave your brain at the door. Don't I even... hear it's raunchy and filthy. It is. <laughs> just... Good. We need that from time to time. Right. So there's a lot of tequila that's downed. I'm just going to say there's a lot. Uh, of... I- Yvonne uh, Orji, I'm not sure. I'm. She's. She was nominated for a... Uh, an Emmy because she was on Insecure with Issa Rae. Aha, that's it. That's it. So they're very likable people. It's got a lot of personality and they get in these these situations where John Cena and Meredith Hagner, you don't know if they're for real. They spin all these stories about their lives, but they're like the classic BSers that you run into that are like life of the party, but you don't know if you can take whatever they say for real. If you've known anybody like that in I life. <laughs> actually know lots of people like that. <laughs> and David, I'm sure in the restaurant business, you get people to try to impress you all the time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we, get, we get, we get those. <laughs> yeah. So this is a, a 20th century Fox was really heavily promoting this. So it started on, as I said, Hulu. And then in Europe, it's going to be on the Disney plus star channel, which I don't even know, but that they have well, it in Europe. 
it's the rest of the world is different because the rest of the world doesn't have Hulu. So it's called star and it's Disney plus it's, they have, it's weird in the rest of the world because you know how, like when you open up Disney plus, there's the Marvel, there's the uh, Disney, there's the star Wars. They have all those tabs. Star is a tab on one of their, on Disney plus. So since the rest of the world isn't as uptight as the Americans are, the the Disney Plus stuff is Simpsons is the least wholesome kind of thing you're going to get on Disney Plus, and they have all the uh, other content on Hulu, like Family Guy, and this and Palm Springs. In Europe, they they're like, uh, we're all adults here. You don't have the kids. Go to the Star tab. So that's what it is. Yeah. Well, I think uh, uh, John Cena has a real fun time with this. He always has fun. And, and just like I say with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, they the training that they got as actors in the World Wrestling Federation Entertainment has served them well to be very good comedic and serious actors. Well, they go to a, a Mexican wrestling match and he has a good line. So I'm not going to spoil it because if you watch okay. it, but he's at a Mexican wrestling match and it's funny. I'm a big wrestling fan myself, so it's it's kind of fun to see those guys become legitimate actors. I was in the same room life. as Ric Flair was last night. Really? I was I was at, I was at the Chase because they're doing wrestling at the Chase tonight, and somebody said Ric Flair just got on that elevator. I'm like, oh, I wish I would have seen it because I would have gone woo, but I'm sure everyone does that to him. Yeah, so I bet I, they do. But I didn't hear anybody do that. So they were leaving him alone. So we were at the chase and they're doing wrestling at the chase tonight. And I think Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins is going to be there, too, because he's an investor in it. NWA. Yeah. And oh, uh, wow. Well, they have resurrected wrestling at the chase. Yep. It's it's tonight. And Ric Flair is going to be there as a special guest. Well, I grew up with every uh, well Saturday night was wrestling at the chase and then they would rerun it Sunday morning after Sundays. church. And yes, and my grandfather, who was, I would say, a heathen because <laughs> he was not Catholic like the rest of us, he would watch it while we were at church. And then my brothers would come home and watch it. And then he would yell at them because they would be rambunctious. And he would like, you just went to church. Why are you wrestling? And uh, but that was the days of Von Roschke and, and uh, uh, Dick the Bruiser and all those early guys. That was before. If you watch Young Rock on NBC, that was before Vince McMahon got every there was just all these little independent little wrestling things. You could wrestle in Florida for one company and then you'd wrestle in the Midwest for another company. And uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson's grandmother ran wrestling in Hawaii. And so that was before Vince McMahon consolidated them all into one worldwide federation it were as it were yeah. what was the thing that you got you guys probably grew up with this uh on you monday nights down, say what that again it? what was the thing on monday nights because my boys used to watch it always monday night was it raw oh monday right. night raw still going monday night raw was and then smackdown yeah, now you got and they, they they had different things for different nights of the week and the storylines would continue. Some would have separate storylines just for raw. Some would have storylines that 
continued throughout the week, and they would all lead up to the pay-per-view event. So that's yeah, where well, everything would go, and that's how they get their money. I couldn't afford the pay-per-view, so my boys would go to my my mom, their grandma, and they would be like, please, 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 can you get the pay-per-view? It is a male <laughs> soap opera. That is That is what wrestling is. Hey, we all love stories, right? Exactly. And some some of the finest actors of our generation came out of WWE. Right. What's wrong with stories where they hit people? <laughs> Nothing. I mean, you guys like fight scenes anyway. Why not have another one? Yeah. Right. Well, uh, we have uh, three movies that opened in theaters only that are... Um, an interesting mix, I would say, and you can tell it's the end of summer because we're heading into the big fall movie season. And so we have a pandemic drama. Are we ready for this? Do you think people want to watch uh, relive the pandemic? I mean, it's still going on as far as I'm concerned, but this is in England from March 24th, 2020 to march of 2021 and it's a fiction it's not a documentary and it's two uh good actors james mcavoy and sharon horgan they play a couple that can't stand each other and they're forced to be together during the pandemic and they have a young son who's introverted and he does he just kind of comes in and out of scenes but they pretty much bicker and complain about how each other's so awful. But then they start reflecting as many people did during the pandemic about their lives. And then the pandemic, uh, the, the coronavirus uh, intrudes because her mother lives in a care facility and uh, is infected and then winds up in the hospital. So they deal with that, but they do have date stamps over in uh, like what happened in the UK, like we have this many cases now, we have this many cases, they have when the vaccine is just starting to come out, but they have when Boris Johnson, remember that when he got it. And so they're keeping it current. It's directed by three-time Oscar nominee, Stephen Daldry, but it's, it's very claustrophobic, like it's a play because mm -hmm. it's two people. And he moves them around, but they're pretty much in their kitchen talking. And uh, James McAvoy, as his character, he's pretty hyper and he talks in his uh, native Scottish brogue. So you got to kind of keep up because he's talking so fast all the time. And well, then, it, this was originally aired on BBC too. It would, they put it on TV over in England. So oh. it's, yeah. And um, it, this is not Together Together, which was the Ed Helms, Patty Harrison baby movie. This is just Together. Right. And uh, it's written by a guy named Dennis Kelly, who won a Tony for adapting Matilda into Matilda the Musical. Oh, so, so, good. so he has a theatrical background. So I'm not saying that performers aren't good. I just don't know. Do you think we're there yet? Do we want to, we want to, because what we, what they're going through, we also experienced. So do we want to relive that? Um, same question, actually, when I saw this was coming out. Say, say that again, David. I was wondering myself, uh, the same, same question when I saw this was coming out, whether or not, I mean, obviously it's, super relevant and i suppose that's what they're they're banking on but um 
are, are we going to be too exhausted to watch this and appreciate it, gets, it? Yeah, it gets a tad tedious because they're so nitpicky at each other. And uh, but it's it's fun to see. Like the first scene is them unloading their minivan with from with, and they got toilet paper and they got all the stuff, you know. And it's just like reliving those early days of what we experienced it was the first day of the lockdown in the uk so and then well it, you know you know they did lock down I, I, at the beginning of the year with anne hathaway and quietella geofor which also takes place in england and that was a heist movie but the first half about that was how they didn't like each other and how their marriage was crumbling and they were just waiting to waiting for the pandemic to be over so they could break up with each other yeah, I don't know. You know, you know how like sometimes you accidentally overhear somebody's uh, cell phone conversation and you're stuck. You you can't get away from like wherever you are. You're hearing this dialogue and you don't want to really be hearing it. Right. Because some people have no filter and you're you're <laughs> and you're stuck. So to me, it just reminded me of you're a fly on the wall listening to these people and sometimes do you you know it's just like is this entertainment well i like stephen daldry i like billy elliott the hours i love the reader and he's been working on the crown for the last couple of years so yeah it's co-directed by a guy who's the second unit director of the crown called uh, justin martin so and that i'm just not saying i mean you know it's fine it's just I don't know if um, it's ni- 90 minutes and well, that's not bad. No, I just don't know. But then we have the real super downer <laughs> of Flag Day with Sean Penn, who uh, has directed six movies, including Into the Wild. And uh, this is the first one he acts in. And this is uh, also the debut of his children. I mean, they've been in other things, but not front and center. But his daughter, Dylan Penn, by uh, her mother is Robin Wright. Mm-hmm. And she is as beautiful as her mother is. She's very soulful beauty. And uh, and then his son, Hopper Jack. Oh, guess who they're named after? He's <laughs> named after. And uh he's a minor character as the brother, but this is based on a true story. Jennifer Vogel wrote this book and she's a journalist now. And she wrote this book in 2004 called flim flam man about her dad being this notorious counterfeiter. And Sean Penn gets inside this deeply flawed guy. I thought both of them were very good as this father daughter dynamic, because when she's little, she thinks her father is just this wonderful, larger than like figure. But as she gets older, she realizes he's pretty much a train wreck. So she and her brother seesaw between fun dad and their mother and uh, then it is about how she discovers that he just can't uh, adapt to being a responsible adult. He just can't adult. And he uh, he's working. They're working together in uh, 
I don't know, I think Wisconsin, and he attempts to rob a bank one day. And so he winds up in prison with a 15 year sentence. And then uh, he's out at the uh, at her place where she's working at the city pages, which is like an RFT in Minneapolis. And he hooks up with her again. He says he's running a little print shop. And uh, he actually counterfeited $22 million. Accidentally? No. Oh, on, on purpose. <laughs> yeah, he, pa- he passed some of it too. So, which is why the feds get him. But this is based, this was an unsolved mystery in uh, 1995. But you know, it's not going to end well because the movie's in a flashback. It starts in 1992 when he is being pursued by the feds. And then uh, it goes back to her childhood in 1975. And Julia Roberts' husband, Danny Motor, is the cinematographer. And so it's this beautiful, golden-hued nostalgia of a summer at a lake in uh, Minnesota. And uh, it's the childhood. And then it's realizing that your dad is maybe a psycho, uh, maybe a sociopath. (laughs) And it's reconciling that. And I thought Sean Penn was fine. And I thought she was fine. It is very melancholy, I will say. Well, Sean Penn, again, is working with Eddie Vedder to do the music like they did for uh, Into the Wild. And I, I like that. I liked that soundtrack. And this time, because uh, Sean's using his children in this movie, Eddie Vedder uses his daughter to sing one of the songs on the soundtrack. So I thought that was actually a pretty cool fact that they did for this movie. Oh, wow. Well, also there's songs by Cat Power and also um, Glenn Hansard of uh, Once. Once. So there's good. It's a good acoustic uh, uh, soundtrack. I really was impressed with that. I thought it was fine. I liked it way better than a lot of people. It's getting very yeah, mixed reviews. We, I know some people, and so do you, that did not care for it and said it was too melancholy and said it was blah. But you liked it. I liked it. I think if you grew up, uh, if you did not grow up in a Leave it to Beaver household, I think you will identify with Jennifer's voice. She does the narr- narration of it. And coming to terms with her past and just who her father was. I think it's, it's, I liked it. Okay. You don't have to apologize for liking it. Just because everybody else hates it doesn't mean that you, I hate, I liked, uh, I liked the first Green Lantern movie and I'm still getting uh, trouble about that. I just made (laughs) David cackle. (laughs) <laughs> well, Candyman is out too. Did you get to see it at the theaters this week? I did not because I didn't see the first. Once I heard it was a sequel, I'm like, well, why would I go see the second one? But they're not promoting it as such, which is kind of weird because the first one is beloved by people. Well, I went back to watch the original because after I watched Candyman, uh, the the new version by Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta. Well, Jordan, Jordan, Peele, Jordan Peele produced it. He's, he's yeah, Well, he co-wrote it too. Okay. So he's one of the three co-writers. It's uh, Nia DaCosta who directed it. She co-wrote the script with Jordan Peele and uh, another person that I'm um, escaping me now. Lynn Rosenfield. 
Okay. And, he, and he's, so he's written stuff with, he wrote uh, things with Jordan Peele already. He wrote, uh, he, he wrote uh, the Twilight Zone stuff with Jordan Peele. Okay. So this is a slasher movie. Okay, the 1992 version came out with Virginia Madsen as this grad student, Helen Lyle, who is pretty much uh, working on urban legends. And this is set in Chicago. It's set in the Cabrini Green projects. And now they're torn down in Chicago and gentrified. So the new version is what they're billing as a spiritual sequel but it's actually updated uh, from some of the characters are the same from the original one, but they expand on this story. So it is a slasher movie with a socio-political commentary because you know with Jordan Peele, you're going to get a socio-political commentary just like Get Out and Us. Now, this is about gentrification and uh the art world and also um police brutality and uh in a slasher film yeah black people getting murdered and then questions asked later or as society is reconciling all these different issues because the original urban legend has Candyman. In 1890, he was an artist. He was a son of a slave and he was an artist and he painted uh, pictures of uh, white rich folk. And he fell in love with somebody's daughter who, and she got pregnant. And so the dad arranges for this mob to get the guy. They saw off his arm and put a hook into his stump, which is the Candyman hook thing. And then they also cover him with honeycomb and a swarm of bees stings him to death. Hmm. So he lives on as a ghost, but for his revenge, people uh, uh, conjure him, summon him by saying into a mirror five times his name. Yes. So this and the legendary Tony Todd played him in the original and he's back again for this one. Right. So this one, I will say a lot of people are getting sliced and diced. This is a hard art. This is a very bloody revenge movie. It takes place in. okay. so this great actor that we have talked about before, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, the second who was bobby seal in the trial of the chicago seven yes and also was a won an emmy for watchmen and he and talking back to dc he was an aquaman so he is uh this artist anthony mccoy which the if you uh know the original you will know that name and he gets stung by a bee <gasps> And so his skin, it's really gross. He's this artist. (laughs) Well, you said it's a hard R. It's well, it's really gross though. I mean, his, his skin starts to cane and it affects his whole body. And he is engaged to Tione, uh, Tiona Paris, who is in WandaVision and also Captain Marvel. She's 
what's her name? Same character as WandaVision. She's anyway, Monica same, Rambeau. And the she, Marvel she was series. A, she was one of the secretary in uh, Mad Men. And she was in the film version of Dear White People. She plays his live-in girlfriend. And she is an art dealer. She works for an art dealer. And uh, Yaya is an artist. And he is inspired by the legend of Candyman and the Cabrini Green. And Coleman Domingo, of all people, tells, fills him in on the story of Candyman and the story of Cabrini Green and, and all this jazz. So it references the first one and uh, the Helen Lau story. And they tell the whole story of the past with these little shadow puppets. I like know they that's, did in Harry Potter. I know this sounds weird. The shadow puppets telling you about the the attack of the original guy and then all the violence and then the big bonfire and and all that. But it actually works as a way to make the past uh, that you know about it. But I don't know if this movie works being heavy handed with the. Uh, Socio-political commentary at the same time people are getting sliced and diced. Okay. But did you appreciate it more after you saw the first one? I did. It made more sense to me. So why do they call it Candyman if it's really the sequel to Candyman? I don't know. But the guy, he he shows up with candy for the kids. Oh, great. Great. Well, this one starts with the Willy Wonka song. Candy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Sammy Davis Jr. version. Yeah. Yeah. Which well, I thought was I thought it was a stroke of genius. There are some brilliant moments in this. There really are some very well thought out things. And then our friend Max, who thinks the first one's a masterpiece, he just thought it, he hated it. He, he thought me. it didn't work with well, what they were. Well, in the end, when when the the final act, when they're trying to tie everything together and who's who and put people in the right places, it just is like, what, what? You're just thinking, wait a minute. You didn't really explain this well for this to happen. The results. Well, if you want to see them both like Lynn did out of order, the the sky view in Bellevue in Belleville is showing the 2021 version first on the drive-thru and then following it up with the original. So you can see it just like Lynn did backwards at the Skyview this weekend. Or you can see it on the free uh, Peacock, the one where you got to watch the ads when you're watching the movie, but it's free. You're not paying for it. It is on there. I said, I'm going to have to check out guys. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today and good luck with everything. And uh, I think it's quite an honor for you to be named Feast Chef of the Year in a very trying time. So go to the feast.com website. No, go to beastbbqstl.com. Go (laughs) cut out the middleman, as it were. Go to his website. Thank you for the opportunity, guys. It's great to meet you. Well, Thanks, thank David. you. It's great. It was great as well. And sorry, we didn't get to follow up in the news Democrat, because I guess with food, we had to go through the food network to interview him <laughs> the first time. And the second time it took, like I told everybody how he placed at the news Democrat, and they were like, oh, OK, follow it up. And then the food network, because they were controlling things. But then 
now today we had you because they let you loose, but you yeah. had to sign all those agreements, didn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you well, couldn't thank you. Anything. Thank you for being on with us and have a great time. And we will see you very soon. Thanks guys. Yes. Thanks. Take care. All right, Lynn, what did you think of On Your Feet? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a breath of fresh air. What did you think? Well, I, there were a lot of, there were a lot of Gloria Estefan songs that they did not put in the show. I thought it would be nothing but like bad boys and words get in the way, which were huge hits for Gloria Estefan. But I understand in the context of the show, they're trying to keep it positive. A lot of her biggest hits are sad, depressing songs. And that's not how the show is going. So I understand why they didn't include some of those major, huge hits. And I understand why they stop it where they stopped it. But um, this show, everybody that I've talked to that normally has not gone to the Muni yet this year, they're all going to this show. I, of everything that has happened this year, Seven Brides and Chicago coming up this week, everyone's going to see On Your Feet, which I think is great. Yes, well, actually, I did my research, and it is the uh, youngest show, the newest, the latest show to be at the Muni because it came out on Broadway in 2015. Right. So the Muni hasn't had anything newer, which is great. And then also I went back through my archives and a Newsies went from Broadway to the Muni in five years, 2012 to 2017. And then Legally Blonde, which Mike Isaacson was one of the producers, producers. Mm -hmm. that went from Broadway to the Muni and uh, in four years. So those are only the fastest because this came out on Broadway in 2015. And so now it's at the Muni and it just ended Friday evening. But I thought the couple that played Gloria and Emilio Estefan was electric and had great chemistry because they are actually They're really married. Yes. Yes. And uh, it was uh, Ariana Rosario and Omar, uh, Omar Lopez Sapiro. And he's been at the Muni before. He was so good in a uh, painter wagon mm -hmm. and he was, uh, he was noticeable in unsinkable Molly Brown. He's got a gorgeous voice and she does too. She was the understudy on Broadway to Gloria oh, and wow. also played her sister, Rebecca. And then they were both on the national tour. Uh, Omar was part of the original Broadway cast in the uh, ensemble. So they both had the Broadway experience. They both had the tour experience. And so they're familiar with it, but it was really, it's really Gloria and Emilio's a story and it's yes. a good story i don't think the book is so great no it's but... not it's not they take a lot of dramatic license a lot of dramatic license now and the abuelo uh the abuela uh the grandma abuelo consuelo consuelo she is played by alma cuervo who originated the role on broadway yes she's she is fantastic and she's, she seems was. like she's having fun. And now, Nasi, Natasia Diaz, 
who was Velma Kelly when uh, the uh, Chicago was here in 11, 2011 or 12. Anyway, she plays Gloria's mom. And that whole thing is about how the mom doesn't want her to be famous. Her mom wants her to continue college. There's her, mom, her mom had an opportunity to be famous, but grandpa didn't let that happen, which is a that that part of the story is true. Yeah, well, they're both Cuban-American immigrants. I knew that they were going to end with that with the, her coming, uh, her um, rehab from the accident. Right. And coming out of the dark, because I remember, did you read, I used to watch American Music Awards at that time. The Dick Clark show. Yeah, I, I knew everything about that story. I knew all about the accidents and yeah. I, so that was 1991 where she came out. Now, what was what's kind of cool about this uh, production on your feet is it's all Gloria Estefan and Emilio Estefan songs. Mm -hmm. But there is one song that's new and it's co-written by their daughter, Emily, who was born in 1994 after the accident. Yeah, And that's when she, the turn the beat around was her last English. Hit. She since. 1990 after she got uh her rehab in 1990 1991 she's been releasing uh spanish language albums and has had tremendous success and won multiple grammys for doing those things her last big english hit was a remake of the disco song turn your beat around and of course they end with that now lynn i i would be remiss if i did not mention the sound problems that the Muni had at this show. I mentioned it too in my review. It is it pop is life unfor essence. unforgivable that this far into the season and opening night that they don't know who's supposed to have their mic on. And I, I don't understand why they had th these problems, especially on a show like this. I mean, yes, the dialogue really doesn't matter. It's all about the songs and the mics are on for all the songs. But I am willing to forgive. I thought one of, and I'm not going to say which one, there was one character that I thought it was not their best performance and the songs were overwhelming for them. And I, now after watching the entire show, I think it was possibly not that actor's fault. It was the sound's fault. Yeah, I was disappointed in the sound. It was really patchy. And there were times because it is an intimate show, like there were staging where it was just two people talking and it was like on a, you know, over a kitchen And only counter, one of them were mic'd. Or in a restaurant or uh, a little discussion with a record company executive. And so there's these little two person scenes and the fact that you couldn't hear the one guy i was like what is going on so i was disappointed with that too i will say that now the music for the band to be on the stage the music director of this lon hoyt was the music director of the broadway show okay and it and it shows that it, they are having a good time and they're playing all the songs. And my favorite song, Anything for You by Gloria Estefan, they play early, but they also make it sound like she wrote it when she was a child. Yeah. They, yeah, they, which they, is, they take yeah. they take a lot of liberties with the Estefan story and they don't date a lot of things because, you know, all 
to make it work in a jukebox musical like this is very hard. And I appreciate the work they did, but I had a good time at the show. Yeah, I did too. The mega mix is really fun. I was, I was so impressed how the Muni audience embraced this and they were on, they literally were on their feet for the curtain. It was just too hot to dance on Saturday night. Well, yeah, but I mean, uh, this was the first show in the Muni history. This is significant. By Latinos, about Latinos, with nearly the entire cast being Latinos. And how about those little kids? Yeah. Oh, the two little kids, the, the kids that played little Gloria and little Emilio, really sharp. And the, the boy... Um, he was son. in the national tour oh. and on Broadway. Nice. Yeah. I think his name was Jordan. I'm going to screw up and I'm also going to not remember the girl, but um, my, <laughs> my review is at poplife.stl.com. If you want to read it, speaking of Broadway shows, Carl, I'm very excited because wicked to celebrate that it's coming back to Broadway they're going to have a concert wicked in concert on Sunday night on PBS. Will it have uh, the original cast? I think it's going to have some of the alpha buzz. I'm not sure. They're, they're I, just, saying, and they're, they're going to, apparently they're going to have some new stuff too, but composer Will Idina be there or Kristen Chenoweth. It didn't say, well then no, because if they would have, if you're going to have, wicked and you're not going to have christina and idina you you would mention it if they were going to be there right and steven swartz is going to be there for sure but they're going to have some new parts i don't exactly know but it is going to be wicked in concert on pbs and uh, that is a fabulous score i will just say that's Mm -hmm. just a wonderful thing and it premiered in 2004 am i correct uh, and sure. uh, a fun fact, it was beaten by Avenue Q at the Tonys. Yeah. So uh, both, that, are, both are great shows. Right. And this uh, Wicked has lived on. The Fox is and one Avenue of the Avenue Q has lived on as well, though. Yes. Well, Wicked has sold out the Fox, has the highest grossing Fox numbers. That and Mamma Mia are like the two biggest hits ever at the Fox. 2003 and, in Broadway. So Wicked will come to the Fox for three, four weeks because it's such a huge hit. And I've seen that and the Lion King. Right. I've seen it like five, six times. But I will say it just defying gravity. Last time I went, a friend of mine who had never seen it went with me and he was like in tears during defying gravity. And popular. Popular is good, too. Oh, yeah. They they, They each get a good song. Right. Well, that score is fabulous and it's a great story and how it connects to Wizard of Oz because the original source material isn't as as Ugh, good as people it's think. like very go, dark. It is. And people Gregory think Maguire's like, Gregory Gregory Maguire's novel Wicked is very dark and everyone that like loves the musical is like, oh, I'm going to read that book. Ooh, and then there's a, there are a whole bunch of sequels to that son of a witch. Uh, it's it's not as upbeat as the musical is. Well, one of my favorite musicals of the last five years is Come From Away. 
Did you see it at the Fox? I did see it. I loved it. And that lost to Dear Evan Hansen. Yes. And but the guy did win direction. Uh, it is a it is fantastic as it it is one of my favorite musicals in the last 10 years. It I is st- fantastic. Oh. I still get choked up during the song. Welcome to the rock. I just every time I watch it, I get choked up. Well, I started watching my preview of it in my Apple TV screeners because guess what? They They're filmed a movie of it. Yes. Yeah, they filmed it on Broadway. It's pretty much it's not like Hamilton where you have the multiple cameras. This is a filmed stage play. Oh, but still but, it's the Broadway version. Right. Well, they are going to put it on Apple Plus on September 10th because it is the 20th anniversary of September, of September 11th, 11th, 2001. Yes. Which is the whole basis for the movie. Right. So they filmed it on Broadway. This was like the first time people were back in the theater and it's uh, the cast. Is it the original cast? A lot of them. Okay. I could recognize quite a few from that. But uh, so I was, I started watching it. I didn't finish because it doesn't come out till September 10th. So I thought, well, I got to get the other ones done. Uh, Speak. So that's really, 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 really cool. And uh, there's a couple of movies um, besides the ones I mentioned. Reminiscence is on in theaters and also on HBO. And it got creamed at the box office and it got ravaged by critics. And I started watching it because I will watch anything with Hugh Jackman. Mm -hmm. And I had to turn it off after a half hour because it was thoroughly unpleasant. And I was like, I've seen enough. (laughs) And Peter Carlos reviewed it for us last week. And I agree with everything he said, just from the half hour I see. And then it's got, you know, almost two more hours to go. So, but I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. And I'm going to miss the final Muni show Chicago that opens Monday because I will actually be in Chicago. So that is, I will not see, I, I tried to see Lynn last week, but people got in our way and they were taking a picture and I didn't want to walk in front of them as they were taking a picture. So I, Lynn, I will not see you in person at the Muni this year, but we were there several times together. Right, right. Well, it's Monday night. I'm looking forward to it because, again, it's also going to be making Muni history because J. Harrison G., who played Lola in Kinky Boots, uh, who was so good two years ago, um, he is going to be playing Velma Kelly. Nice. And he identifies as a he, not a they. Okay. Well, so, I'm, it, I'm sorry I'm going to miss because I like Chicago. I've seen Chicago many times at the uh, Fox and I would I was looking forward to seeing it at the Muni. Maybe I will see it not on opening night. Well, it has grown on me over the years because I did see uh, the original when it was here in 1977 with Jerry and, Orbach and Cheetah. And then John C. Riley is fantastic in the film. Yeah, so I think Best picture uh, as, winner. As, I think more as the celebrity culture has grown and reality TV has grown. And then also the whole thing about media and uh, anti-heroes and, and all that. I think it says a lot more about society. So it was really ahead of its time. And then of course, Bob Fosse's choreography, which was at the time very groundbreaking and uh, still. Even though the cell block tango. Yeah. 
So I think it has, I think it has a lot of relevance nowadays, which is interesting because you can't always say that about uh, musicals, but I'm, I just want to applaud the Muni for taking that step. And then also for on your feet, it was, it was just a breath of fresh air to see something new and different. That wasn't the uh, standard mid-century golden age musical. Well, there's, they still did that as well. Right. right well, that's what they have to do for their audience. Hey, Carl, the, uh, the, the exhibit St. Louis sound, which you'll have to talk about more when we uh, next week, but uh, it opened, uh, I think it opens to. Uh, it, opened, it opened, there was a media preview on Thursday night, but I could not go on Thursday night. I am going to be seeing it. It's here till January. So I'm going to be seeing it soon. Right. And the Bush family's taken over Grant's Farm, which is one of your favorite places that you and your family go to. So I love that. I love that that's happening. And I really hope that nothing changes, but I'm willing to give them a year to see. So what's going on? And now, also, Liz, yeah, also the Kurt Warner uh, a teaser uh, poster came out uh, for American Underdog. And they're releasing uh, it on Christmas Day, which makes me think that it might be better than we all think it's going to be. Well, yeah, well, Zachary Le uh, Levy, Levi plays Kurt and then Anna Paquin, Oscar winner, plays Brenda. Yeah. And then Dennis Quaid has to play one of the coaches. You think it's Vermeil? Possibly. I, I don't know who he's playing, but I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Well, all the sports guys on my feed, because I posted it on Facebook, all the sports guys, including Tom Calhoun, uh, are worried about it being overly schmaltzy. And well, yes. obviously it's Kurt and be, Brenda are producers of the, of the right. Thing. It's going to be faith based. We know that. Yeah, for sure. But yes, is it going to be somebody said, is it going to be like a Kurt Cameron movie? Maybe. So we shall see. But I hope to God, because I think Kurt deserves better. That story is ready made for cinema. Yes. And he's so beloved in St. Louis. It'll be interesting to see the promotion of this if he comes to town or, or um, and then because, you know, he's still so beloved here. Yeah, he, I think it I think it'll be I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about the film. Yeah. Well, Carl, thanks again. I'm so happy we got to have David on. And uh, I highly recommend a visit to the Beast Craft Barbecue if you haven't been. And next week, we'll get back into Marvel movies because Shang-Chi is going to finally open uh, The Legend of the Ten Rings. And we'll talk about that next week. Lynn, where can we find you on the socials? I am in all of them. And I'm uh, my website is poplifestl.com. And I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times. And also, I'm on KTRS Radio every Thursday night. Miller Furniture presents Lynn Van House Goes to the Movies with Ray Hartman after the 10 p.m. news. And uh, that's that's it for me, Carl. Where can we find you? I am at underscore Carl the Intern on Instagram and Twitter. You'll hear me this week, not Monday and Tuesday, on the Mark Cox Morning Show and on the Maxim Movies podcast. And here. Thanks, Carl. Stay safe. Take care, everybody. Mask up. And uh, God bless our troops. Pray yes. for pray for all our our men and women in the military so long carl bye